You're listening to the Puck Authority Podcast. Your go-to source for all things hockey. Welcome to this episode of the Puck Authority Podcast. And on this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by Elias Loretti, who covers the Montreal Canadiens for us here at the Puck Authority. Elias, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Not a problem. All right. So on this episode of the Puck Authority Podcast, we were really pleased to be joined by Nick Gizmondi, who covers the Blackhawks for NBC. Uh, and Elias, Nick is someone who you've known for a little while. So do you want to tell me about, first off, your connection with him and, you know, the interests that you guys share? Yeah, of course. So um, as many of you know, I'm actually a very huge uh, Vegas Golden Knights fan. So um, their inaugural season, I was actually watching all the games online. And um, Nick was actually the host of AT&T uh, Sportsnet, who was, co- who was covering all the Vegas games uh, home on the road. So I always saw his face. And then, um, like a good journalist, I went on Facebook, found him on Facebook, sent him a couple messages. He was a really down-to-earth, nice guy. You know, we did an Instagram live together during the summer, which is on my Instagram account. Um, and I just was down-to-earth guy. So um, during the off-season, we were trying to find ideas for his podcast. So I suggested him to you, and I said it could be, it could be a good uh, – a good, uh, good guest to have on the show. So that's why we decided to have him on. And he was an absolute pleasure to have on. We spoke about Kendall Coyne Schofield joining the Blackhawks organization. We spoke about uh, the Blackhawks and uh, the many changes that they're experiencing uh, through this uh, weird and short off season into uh, what's looking like a 2021 only NHL season. Uh, then we also touched on Tyler Toffoli joining the Montreal Canadiens, uh, looking a little bit into the biggest stage in the National Hockey League. So, um, I guess to that end, and, you know, I'll ask you kind of a, a little bit about um, some of this conversation that we had to, you know, just dive more into it along with Nick's thoughts. You know, Kendall Coyne Schofield, we spoke about the significance of her joining the Blackhawks uh, and the role that she'll be doing. And, you know, she's someone who, you know, looks to be bigger than herself. And she, you know, sure, she's a player with the PWHPA and all. And uh, Nick obviously helps with those events. But, um, you know, she's someone who wanted to do more. So she became a broadcast with NBC, uh, did a couple games. And, you know, that wasn't her her glass ceiling. And now that she's with the Blackhawks as a skills specialist, still not at her ceiling. So, you know, you look at a, a person like that, and what does that mean to, you know, this the future of the Blackhawks organization? I mean, honestly, this is a great move. I think really we should be, you know, including women as much as much as we can. Um, I'd love to give another great reference, uh, Sarah Fuller, who was the goalkeeper at uh, Vanderbilt uh, for the soccer team, ended up winning the championship, and then the football coach needing a kicker due to COVID, COVID affecting all their kickers, you know, inviting her, and then her staying on the team, actually, I found out as well, you know, we need to find, keep finding a way to grow, get women involved in this game because, it can't just be a man's game. It has to be accepting to, you know, all people, men, women, you know. So I think that was a great move for Chicago. I think this is only the beginning. You know, I think we're going to start to see more of these moves like that, more women getting involved. We saw Haley Wickenizer in Toronto. Uh, we saw, like you said, Kendall Coyne in Chicago. I mean, this is only just the beginning. Absolutely. And then you look at the, you know, even the front office side where in Seattle, they're actually really investing in that, which is really important when you look at, you know, the need for women in sport. Cammy Granado, a former U.S. national team uh, all-star is there in the scouting department. Uh, She is the wife of Ray Ferraro of TSN. Um, So, you know, you just, you understand the significance of this. And Kendall Coyne uh, was, you know, a breakout player in the NWHL prior with the Minnesota Whitecaps. So seeing her 
take what she's learned as a player and bring that to the future of the Blackhawks uh, through the Rockford Ice Hogs uh, and their other affiliates, I think uh, is, again, a huge move. And you look at the Indy Fuel and the ECHL as their affiliate there. So um, again, a really big move uh, and something that Nick really was um, really thrilled to talk about given his uh, familiarity with Jaina Hefford and the PWHPA, but that wasn't always spoke about. We also spoke about Corey Crawford, who was unexpectedly unexpectedly moved elsewhere and has since signed, I believe, in New Jersey. So Elias, do you want to kind of walk through that conversation that we had? Yeah, um, apparently Nick said that he had no idea of the move before it happened and it came as a shock even to the whole team. You know, as we spoke about, there was a little bit of controversy between the players and the ownership um, because the ownership decided to go, uh, decided to go, hey, we're going to start with a rebuild. And then uh, Tate, uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves decided to say, hey, you know, we, we should have a say in this as well because this is our team. You know, we've, we've stuck through up and down. And, you know, they, they had a pretty, I would say, pretty good season. You know, had the season gone on, they probably would have made the playoffs. But still the fact that they got in due to the pandemic, they were able to ups- upset the uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who were the number five seed, which was a big result for them. But again, falling to the powerhouse Vegas Golden Knights. So, uh, I mean, you know, it came as a shock. And I guess Chicago is going to go with uh, their rookie goaltender with Malcolm Subban. Right. And with Subban, he he was pretty solid last year with the Blackhawks uh, in the games that he uh, got to take part in as a backup to Crawford. But now take on the starter role and you're someone who, um, you know, really looks all over the National Hockey League again, as you also follow the Vegas Golden Knights. Can you talk about what that means for Subban, a young kid to finally kind of uh, mold into the starting position? I mean, honestly, um, Malcolm uh, was in Vegas, so I followed Vegas a lot. Uh, he was the backup to Marc-Andre Fleury before they acquired Robin Leonard. And um, honestly, uh, my personal opinion, I didn't feel like he was ready to take on that starting role. I still feel like he's still developing. Like he still should be like a second backup. And if I were Chicago, I would honestly look at other options for starting because, um, you know, I don't, I would, I would hate to see the situation like Edmonton where they have a good defense, they have a good offense, but goaltending just seems to be lacking. And I just feel that, um, in Chicago's situation, you know, having Malcolm Subban in net, um, you know, there, I bet there's two different sides of him. I've seen him at his best and I've seen him at his worst. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I'll give him a perfect example, you know, Cam Talbot and Edmonton, you know, he seemed to struggle. So I would hate to see that type of situation in Chicago, especially with the players that they have. They have a great core. They have, like I said, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. They got uh, Dominic Kubelik, who was the, uh, scored 30 goals in his first year, which is unmarkable. You know, they got Slater Cuckoo on the back end, Brent Seabrook. So I would hate to see them, you know, lose a season due to goaltending. So that's why I would I would basically say if I were Chicago, look for a starter because you might take that risk of taking a developing goaltender, putting him in that first starting role. Right. And when we understand what this offseason looked like, again, due to COVID-19, it wasn't a normal offseason. As a matter of fact, it was barely an offseason. So it's not like they had a lot of time to really look at their needs and make it happen. There's still a little bit of time left. However, that being said, players are just starting to return from overseas, which is the first sign that, you know, the NHL is really starting to put the pieces together on this messy CBA deal, which has been in discussion for several weeks now and only really uh, has come to terms in the last 24 hours uh, with regards to what this uh, new season will look like outside of a bubble format. But uh, so while we didn't touch much on that with Gizmondi, you know, what are your thoughts uh, based on what's happened today around the National Hockey League, given that they're trying to avoid the bubble yet have a, 
you know, a hybrid bubble in place should they need to use it? I mean, it's always good to have a backup plan. Um, you're taking the risk of, you know, teams traveling and, you know, they did mention division realignment. So, I mean, the Canadian teams would stay in Canada, so it wouldn't be that difficult. But if we're talking like teams in the U.S., you know, there might, it, might, it might be like sketchy. Like we need to see in the NFL. NFL, all the teams are in America and you see cases, you know, back and forth. Like last week, I'll give you an example, the Baltimore Ravens. They got, they got their game um, delayed three times against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's always going to be bumps here and there. But um, Gary Bettman did have the idea of maybe starting in a hybrid bubble. And then as the year goes on, because remember, vaccines are coming in 2021. So maybe, you know, halfway through the season, if things get better, we'll, you know, be able to get out of the hybrid bubble. Just my thoughts. And then maybe go towards having, you know, maybe 10, 20% fans in the building. And then, you know, start the season with no fans because right now, you know, everyone still needs to get vaccinated. We still, you know, we're still not out of the woods yet with COVID. You know, cases are still spiking in the U.S. Uh, U.S. has almost reached uh, 300,000 deaths. So it's unfortunate. It's still growing. Even in Alberta now, um, the world juniors are, are still at risk. We don't have. We just saw Canada being quarantined for 14 days and five players, unfortunately, being sent home. Uh, not being able to reach the protocols. So uh, it's always good that, like I said, it's always good to have a backup plan and just, you know, go day by day and hopefully not have any bumps. I mean, the Edmonton bubble, it went flawless. You know, they had zero cases. So um, I know players aren't ha- are hesitant about going back into a bubble because they didn't want to do that because they, it's literally asking them to spend two, three, four, five months away from their family and their loved ones. So again, it's a good backup plan, but let's just see how where it goes. I mean, the fact that they were able to finally, you know, come to an agreement, you know, the state to the original CBA. Um, I actually found it ironic that two days after I wrote a piece saying that the NHL to honor the agreement, that they actually decided to do just that. So that that's just my thoughts on that situation. Right, and you mentioned the World Juniors aspect, which um, we only touched lightly on with Gizmondi and that Kirby Doc, uh, the agreement with uh, Bowman, in Stan Bowman, that is, uh, was that in the event that the NHL season starts before or during the World Juniors tournament in Edmonton, that he's returned from Hockey Canada. Now, uh, given the January 13th date, it looks as if Doc will be sticking with uh, Hockey Canada through uh, and then head right back to Chicago immediately afterwards, which is a really good thing that given he's such a talented player and Nick had nothing but good words to say about Kirby, about his family. Um, so you want to speak about what you like about Kirby as a player and what you think his significance will be both to Team Canada this winter as well as to the Blackhawks upon return? Yeah, I mean, I've watched this guy closely. I saw him in the uh, Chicago Vegas series. You know, a nice young kid. He's got a lot of skill. He's got a lot of power. He's got a great shot. You know, he's going to develop into that Patrick Kane type of player. And I think he might be Chicago's next best player for years to come. And as Gizmondi said, he, you know, he's a, he's a great talent. He's a great kid. You know, he's uh, currently living with uh, with Brent Seabrook. So, I mean, he's taking him on, under his wing and he's really trying to maybe teach him the ropes, which is very good for him. So, you know, Doc will be a future uh, force for years to come for sure. 
and Doc has already been a force to be reckoned with in Red Deer before the 14-day quarantine for Team Canada. Uh, he had scored three goals in just two games back-to-back -back nights. Uh, so I think that that really goes to show the kind of player that he is when he was in the Western Hockey League. He was, I mean, a standout, which is why he jumped from junior hockey to the National Hockey League. So that gives you a little uh, insight into uh, the kind of player he is. And he's someone who loves to be around people and uh, meshes well with just about anyone, which Nick touched on is the fact that he molds well in the Blackhawks dressing room. And that is something, um, look, the young players, they love to just get in there, get comfortable and, um, you know, feel it both on and off the ice. So to have that in Kirby Doc, I think for the Blackhawks is exceptional. And again, someone who will be a force for years to come, as you mentioned. So, um, I mean, really, that's uh, that took us through the entire conversation with, with uh, Nick Ismondi. Uh, he was a pleasure to talk to, and you're going to get to hear that in just a few minutes. Uh, but Elias, before we go, uh, what is your social media that uh, our listeners can find you at? So Facebook, Elias Loratti, Twitter, at Elias Loratti, Instagram, Elias underscore Loratti. All right, so that's where you can find Elias, and you can find myself on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS uh, for all your news on the World Juniors, uh, where you can find Kirby Duck. Um, that's really my only social media handle, but otherwise, follow me at thepuckauthority.com, uh, where you can find the work of both myself and Elias uh, at Puck Authority One for continued insight on uh, the NHL's progression, the World Juniors, uh, and hopefully, we'll be having Nick on again soon. But uh, for now, we're going to sign off. But uh, I think this is going to lead you into what's a, what was a really interesting conversation with NBC Chicago's Nick Ismondi. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 30 of the Puck Authority podcast. On this week's episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by Elias Loratti, who returns after uh, two months away in Europe. We have Armand Klisovic, uh, as always, joining us from Vermont. But uh, what's really special about this episode is we have Nick Ismondi from NBC, who's joining us live from Colorado. Nick, thank you so much for, for doing this with us. Oh, I'm stoked to be on with you guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for reaching out and having me on here. Absolutely, our pleasure. Um, so, you know, obviously the NHL is in a uh, confusing state and we're not going to uh, dig too much into that. So instead, what we're going to do, let's start with uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into, you know, broadcasting and hockey. Um, we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, well, this is uh, coming up on year 26 as a uh, as a broadcaster for me. And it'll be my uh, this this next season in the NHL will be my actual my, just my fourth year in the NHL. So a lot, a lot of it for me was started in hockey and, you know, it's a tough road sometimes, no matter what you are and what you're trying to do in the game of hockey, whether you're trying to be a player or whether you're trying to be a broadcaster or a coach, there's a, there's a ladder you have to climb and there's a process that you have to go through. And I'm certainly no different than anybody else. I started as a, a 15 year old. Um, I, I grew up in Detroit and, and, and played hockey at a, at a high level. And unfortunately I got injured at the wrong time at a, at a time in your life and your career, when you're going to look to try to make that next step into the NHL. And I just, I wasn't able to, or not in NHL, just in hockey in general. And I wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. And luckily, luckily enough, my high school had a radio station. So I, I started announcing games uh, in my hometown of Plymouth uh, in the Ontario hockey league for the Plymouth Whalers. And uh, that turned into a job for Fox sports Detroit. And then that took me out to Los Angeles where I worked for, NBC Sports Network for a long time covering the Olympics and then luckily enough in in 2017 um, I was was able to 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 land a gig with the with the Vegas Golden Knights and I was with them for two years and then last summer uh, things changed in the Knights organization across the board they revamped their entire broadcast and Eddie Olchek who's uh, a dear dear friend of mine for for 13 years one of my closest and best friends 
uh, called me right after uh, everybody figured out I was leaving Vegas and he gets the primary assist for uh, getting me to uh, getting me to Chicago. I mean, this guy, uh, like Edzo, Edzo picked the puck up outside the blue line and, and walked four guys and then, you know, got down low below the right circle and sauced a beautiful pass over a stick. And I was just there for like the little tap. And that's how much of an assist Eddie gets for, for bringing me to Chicago. But what an unbelievable opportunity for me. So to be, to be in the NHL for, for three seasons as a broadcaster and, and now this, this past year to be able to be with an organization like the Chicago Blackhawks is, is tremendous. I mean, it's an original six. It's, you know, a top, top five market in the United States. They're number three. And, and it's, it's easily one of the best sports franchises in the world. I mean, what the Wirtz family has done with it and, you know, what the leadership has done there. Um, it just, I, I tell people all the time, it's white glove. I never felt more welcomed and I've never felt more as a part of a family in any organization in the 25, 26 years that I've done this than I, than I did this past season with Chicago. So it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously it, it got cut a little short there when the world went haywire in March, but uh, I'm certainly excited and, and, and looking forward to getting back to things as soon as we can. So you mentioned you've been around hockey for a long time, starting with the OHL and now you're in Chicago. Um, but, you know, a unique experience for you joining the Vegas Golden Knights from the time they joined the NHL. So can you talk about what it was like to be part of um, what was built by Bill Foley and George McPhee to be a really exciting uh, 31st organization? Yeah, full, full marks to, uh, to, to, to Bill and to George. Um, you know, the architecture and the way that George was able to put that team together and the carte blanche uh, ability that Bill Foley gave him to do that was exactly what you hope for. I, I think if you're, if you're a guy like George, you want to be able to, to, to do what you know is right. And obviously George has, has put together so many amazing, um, you know, teams in the past, you know, he gets full credit for, for Washington's first Stanley cup. I mean, that team and the architecture behind it was, was primarily George's doing before he left and, and ultimately went into, um, into the golden Knights, but to, to, to be a part of that history and to be a part of that community and that city was unbelievable for me for, you know, for a year and a half. I, I, I truthfully, I'll truthfully always cherish the relationship that I have with that city and with that community. And, and for me, I think that was the most overwhelming thing. I, I still get a lot of messages and I still get a lot of reach out from, from the fans and the Knights. And it was awesome. I mean, they, they were into that oh it's going to be a lot of casinos buying up seats and it's going to be you know a heavy fan base from the opposition not the case uh that 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 community uh you know vegas henderson summerlin the entirety of that area of nevada uh just absolutely poured their hearts out for that organization and to witness it and then to see how those guys all came together and rallied around each other and the city and the tragedy after um, you know, the shooting that happened in October and the way that they all moved forward. It was special to be a part of. I mean, it'll be something that I'll, you know, I'll never forget. And, you know, um, George is, George is one, of them, you know, one of the smartest, most incredible hockey minds I've ever been around. So, so, so to be able to watch him sort of do what he did 
it was special. I, I, I feel like I'm a bit of a hockey nerd and I, I saw what he was going for. And I, and I think it's the age old adage of it doesn't have to be the best players. It's the, it's the old Herb Brooks line. It's gotta be the right guys. And aside from a couple of guys like Mark Andre Fleury, he, he didn't have the best players. I mean, there were guys on that roster on day one when I'm getting ready to announce those games or I was a studio host there, but I'm looking up and down the roster. I'm like, I don't know half of these guys. Like, I'm like, like, I, you know, I had to learn a little bit about them. So to be able to see what he was able to do and that he, you know, he put the time in with the personalities. It was incredible. And, and Bill Foley, um, you know, that man is passionate about hockey and I, you can see it in his eyes. Uh, he, he lights up about the sport and he's romantic about it. And I love that about him because that's how I'm about the game. I mean, I've been around it my entire life and I owe it everything. So I knew right away that, that, that Bill Foley was going to do right by that organization. And, and, uh, and he certainly did. And I say Bill because every time uh, he has a rule, if you call him Mr. Foley, it's a it's a thousand dollar fine. And in in the first couple uh, the first couple, I'm proper. It's if you're above me, it's a mystery. I grew up in a military family, so you know I would call him Mr. Foley. And we were on a radio show together in studio. I think it was before the first game, and he warned me. He goes, he goes, I'll give you one more of those. He goes, but no more Mr. Foley. He goes, you call me Bill. And so we get ready to do the pregame show that night and I'm on, you know, the set and it's live TV and you got your producers in your ear and, and uh, um, Bill comes onto the set and I'm like, joining us is Bill Foley, blah, 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 blah. My producer's like, you need to call him Mr. Foley. And I'm like, and I keep calling him Bill. And the producer's like, please refer to him as Mr. Foley. And I said, Bill, I said, I got to stop you for one second. I said, I don't normally do this. I said, my producer's in my ear and he's yelling at me to call you by another name. He'd like me to, to put the surname in, in front of your name. And he goes, well, don't do that. And I go, would you kindly explain to everybody on TV why I'm calling you Bill Foley and not Mr. Foley? He goes, well, I mean, you've been calling me Mr. Foley all day in press. And if you call me Mr. Foley one more time, I'm charging a thousand dollars. He wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding. It was, uh, he's just that kind of guy. He's very charismatic. He's very easygoing. And uh, he loves that organization. He loves that team. He loves his team. Right. So ultimately, you've been through a lot of fun around hockey, whether it be the Hawks or with the Golden Knights. And, you know, I think that's something that's really important to the game. Uh, and something that, you know, on, in, in a different uh, way of fun, uh, you now went from the really warm weather in a, hawk, in a new hockey city to the really cold in Chicago. How's that working for you? You know, it's, <laughs> I actually got that question a ton. It was nice in Vegas because it was, it was, you know, I don't think I owned a trench coat or an overcoat in, in, in Vegas. The nights would get a little bit cold, but I'm a big golf fan. I'm a giant golf fan. So I love my golf and I basically played golf year round in, in Vegas. We would, you know, we'd have an off day. My, my broadcast partner was Brad May, who's, who's just an unbelievable human and one of my close pals. And we had an off day, we'd go play golf and it's February, it's December. It's, you know, the day after Thanksgiving and it's, you know, it's 72 degrees and sunny and he and I are golfing before a hockey game. And, uh, you know, so I miss that. You can't really do that in Chicago in the wintertime. There's not really much golf in, in December in, in Illinois. But um, I grew up in Detroit. So, you know, I spent, you know, 18 years in the cold and that Midwest lake effect kind of winter. So I wasn't, it was, an, it, was a, it was a change for sure. I definitely had to buy some additional clothes, but uh, nothing I wasn't used to. It would have been a little tougher if I would have gone from like California, Vegas, Chicago, but um, I, I, was used, I was used to it. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad of an adjustment. Right. Then keep in mind the fact that you live in Colorado when, when it snows, it snows. So, I mean, I'm sure the weather wasn't all too much of a crazy adjustment for you. 
Yeah, it's crazy here though. It's the weather here is so bipolar in in Colorado, and I kind of love it because it's the best of both worlds. It, it, you know, it snowed, uh, it snowed three days ago, and we got like two inches, and it was sixty degrees today, and most of it melted. So, I probably would have played golf today if the if the golf course wasn't still snow covered. But yeah, it's weird here. It's just you get the best of both worlds. Right. So, uh, I mean, look, it's the same here in Toronto, and you know, take it as it comes. Um, so we'll start really digging into more hockey now. And I think, uh, yeah. since, you know, I've already kind of let off. I may as well just continue with my first question here. Um, and I'll look at the Chicago Blackhawks for something they recently did that I think is really big. Uh, and that would be the addition of Kendall Coyne Schofield uh, while kind of rejiggering the organization. I think that was a huge move, especially because I'm a women's hockey writer. And so for me, I see that as really big, but let alone the fact that more and more women are entering staff roles within the National Hockey League. Can you talk about the significance of that uh, from your mind? Sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm such a big fan of, of Casey. Uh, I, I've known her for, I've known her for a little while now and I feel like I've known her most of my life. Her, her and I got close this year. Um, obviously she's a very big part of the PWHPA, as you know, and uh, at the start of the year in Chicago, um, I had known Kendall and I had covered her a little bit for women's hockey when I was with NBC sports network and, and covering the Olympics. So I spent a ton of time with her and, um, Brianna Decker and Hillary Knight and um, a lot of those pioneers, Granado, that have really paved the way, um, you know, for women's hockey. AJ Malesko is another huge uh, proponent that I, I think deserves a ton of credit. But, you know, Kendall is just such an incredible, she's such an incredible human being, but she's an incredible hockey player. And I think that's the most important part. She understands the game better than most people that I know. And, and so for, for her to be a broadcaster for a while, I think she loved it. And I think the broadcasting thing was fit her well. I think she was great on the air, but I think she always knew that she knew the fundamentals of the game so well that she wanted to actually impact the players and their development and how they come up through. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, players that are in the NHL or high level in women's hockey. Um, you, you know, she can have an impact and will have a major impact on the development of this young core that is the Chicago Blackhawks now, and even have an influence on the guys that have been there for a while because they all respect the hell out of her. We all respect the hell out of her. Um, you know, so Kendall's one of those people that, you know, no matter what she asks you to do, you're, you're going to do it. And she came to me in October and asked if I would get involved and, and, and do some play-by-play for the PWHPA. So, you know, I linked up with, uh, with Jenna Heppard and, 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 uh, and Kendall, and we, you know, I was more than happy to do multiple events for the PWHPA because I'm a firm believer that that absolutely needs to happen. It should be implemented already. The fact that it's not there yet um, is frustrating. But, you know, I'll tell you something else. Uh, the, the, the job that the PWHPA did last year that Jaina and, you know, I know Kendall had a major, major hand in that. It was fantastic hockey. I mean, I loved, I loved announcing it. I loved watching it. And, um, you know, Kendall's a big part of that. And she's just, she's so passionate about the game. And I, and I think that the, the most important thing for, for people to understand that our hockey people is that this is a family. It's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. It's a giant family. And we all look out for one another. Um, we all look out for one another. And, you know, Kendall has been an unbelievable steward of the game as a player, as 
a, a spokesperson, as a broadcaster, and, and she's going to do great things as a coach. When, when that announcement came out, I, I texted her right away, and I, I just I told her how excited I was and how much she deserved it and how proud I was of her. And her response back was like, uh, she basically said that, you know, obviously, thank you. And she says, I, I'm just so excited we're on the same team officially now. And, and I felt the same way. Like, she's going to be an unbelievable teammate. And, uh, you know, I go to war for her any day of the week. I think it's an incredibly smart move. And, and I think you're going to see a lot of other teams start to take heed because there is a deep, deep, deep pool of very, very talented um, women's hockey minds, players, coaches, however you want to frame it. Um, they're, they're, they, they have it figured out just as good as, as, as anybody else. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see that tide start to, start to uh, you know, splash over the shore. Absolutely. And Kendall, to me, is someone, I mean, look, she's on the board of the PWP. That tells you that, you know, she's one of the, like you said, one of the bigger pieces in, you know, making a change and growing the game. And so she wants to do something bigger than herself. So, you know, broadcasting, like you said, good start. And she did well in the air, but she wanted to do something bigger than that. And I think that this is going to suit her perfectly. And it's going to lead the way for more women. Because look, you have Cami Granado in an office role with Seattle. You have Haley Wickenheiser, who's a development coach part-time with the Maple Leafs. So yep. you see how, you know, slowly it's growing. But uh, like you said, I think more teams are going to take heat for it until we see a change. And Justin, the other thing I would say about Kendall is, is that this is not her, this is not her ceiling. Like this is this is just the next. We talk, I talked about the rung and the ladder of, of of you know all of us have a all of us have a ladder to climb in whatever profession it is or whatever avenue of hockey we want to be a part of. Same goes for a coach. The same goes for a player. The same goes for a broadcaster, a writer, uh, a, a, you know, a GM, an assistant GM, whatever. Everybody's got their 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 steps that they have to take. This is just another rung in the ladder for, for Kendall, definitely not the top of it. So you could see her coach a team like the coach of a team. Uh, you know, I think she'll, she'll, she'll be able to development coach for a while. And then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised at least if you see her, you know, her next move as, as an assistant coach and maybe she coaches, maybe she's a GM, maybe she's a president. Um, it's going to be very, very fun to see the ascension of, of, of Kendall Coyne Schofield because there is there are very few that are as deserving and as passionate as, as she is. Right, and there's this idea of the WNHL eventually coming together, and you know yeah. while the while there's very little talk on that right now, I see her as the type that when she's done playing after the PWPA, whenever that is, because again, we don't know how long uh, this is going to take, but you know, I think she's going to want to be one of the spearheaders and head coach, general manager, something to that sort uh, when, when it comes to, you know, helping to run things along with what I ideally think is going to be Jane Hefford, Cameron Granado might even join, you know, I'm just thinking of ideals here. Well, think about, think about the, think about the progress under, under Jaina and Kendall and, and, and too many others to name and you all know who you are. Um, and I, there's probably not enough time in this podcast for me to, to name all of you that have been a part of, of, of the, the forward push of women's hockey, but that's just the sponsorships that the PWHPA has picked up in the last two months tell you the trend. Um, and the ascension and the, the quick acceleration um, and the, the, the rise of, of women's hockey. PWHBA is going to be a big deal this year. It's going to come back, and I'm excited to be a part of it, and I'm excited to be a broadcaster for them again this year. But um, just that alone tells you w w what the direction it's going. The momentum that was created last year um, in just a short time and that has carried over already into this year, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing.
Right, and look, it's only going to continue. Uh, and like you said, they've made unbelievable progress, and it's nice to know that you're going to be back broadcasting for them this season. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I, mean, I listen to your broadcast of of those games. So I mean, look, it's this is only the start for Kendall, and for the women's game, it it only makes it look better. So with that being said, Elias, feel free to chip in here. Yeah, sure, Nick. I actually had a quick question. Um, yeah. How surprised were you by the move of uh, Corey Crawford leaving Chicago? Mm, knew that was coming. Very surprised, to be honest with you. I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. I had I had most I had most of it figured out. I thought at least I thought I was pretty savvy on where where the Hawks were going to go with things. Um, I did not see the Corey Crawford thing happening, uh, and, and the reason being is is that I I was under the my my thinking, and, and God knows I'm not an NHL GM. Um, my thinking was was that it was going to when they traded Robin Leonard to, to Vegas, that was their decision. It was going to be one of those two guys as the, the, what was going to steward the Hawks through whatever they were going to do. Definitely saw a partial rebuild coming. I didn't think they would say the word rebuild. Yeah. Um, and then chips kind of started to fall, but I certainly didn't see, uh, I, I certainly didn't see Corey Crawford leaving. Um, I think that the biggest question mark for the Hawks uh, m- moving out of this off season or whatever the heck you want to call it into whatever this next stage is going to be, whenever that stage happens, all eyes will be on, will be on the goalie crease. And it, it's going to be interesting to see which guy emerges. I'm familiar with Malcolm. Uh, we were in Vegas together for, um, you know, first season. So he comes into a locker room that he's familiar with and that he knows. And there's a couple guys from Vegas Carpenters there. And obviously we've got Brandon Peary back, uh, you know, so, you know, he's got some comfortability there, but uh, Colin Delia is, 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 is proven to be a very good goaltender as well. So I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty good push to see who's the one and two in, in, in Chicago this year, but very surprised to see, to see Crawford leave. Um, obviously a, a, a multiple Stanley cup champion and, a leader in the locker room and um, just a, a great guy. And, you know, I was the new guy in Chicago this year and he was one of the guys that was, you know, went out of his way to, to make me feel like I was part of the family right away too. always had time to, to answer any questions. And, and when the media scrum dissipated, it was always, you know, uh, you know, he was one of the, one of a lot of guys that was always happy to just sit there and chat and, and have a good conversation. So sad to see him go, but um, you know, I think the important thing to remember, and we all forget it sometimes, and me included, is, is that this is a business. And at the end of the day, um, it's a business. <laughs> and I want to uh, pick up, follow up on that question. There was a bit of a controversy when Crawford was traded because I heard of a story where Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane were really happy with what was going on. So my question to you is, do you really hear that story? And where did the Hawks go from here, I mean? They beat the Oilers. They upset the Oilers in playing round, but then they lost, of course, to Vegas, who had a very deep lineup. So where does Chicago go from here? And just your thoughts on the little controversy, if it's a rebuild, if it's not a rebuild, and uh, the players that were unhappy with the direction that Chicago was taking. Yeah, sure. So three three questions there. I'll, I'll take them in part, and if I forget one, you'll have to remind me. But, you know, addressing, uh, address the first one with the, the, the quote-unquote controversy. I think that guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook have obviously earned the right to understand potentially what is going on. That's their team. They're the ones that are going out on the ice. I also agree with Stan Bowman that – 
the GM's job is to run the team and it's the players' jobs to, to play the game. And it's the coach's job to tell them how to do that. And that's just how the, the pecking order goes. But I, I think what, what happened through all of this is, is that there was a, a mutual understanding between those three entities that we maybe need to communicate a little bit better. We maybe need to run things by not that Stan Bowman is going to walk down to the locker room before every moves he makes and, and ask that core four, if it's okay to do this, because he's not going to do that and he shouldn't do that. But I think that, you know, in the sense of the family and in the sense of the team, it's, it's a good idea to, um, you know, get input from guys like that who have, who have certainly earned it. Jonathan Taves and, and Kaner and Duncan and Siebes are incredible hockey minds. They're incredible hockey players. They've done an unbelievable job for that organization. So, you know, there's no, I see no issue in them, you know, being able to, 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 you know, to give their take, but yeah, I mean, I feel like those guys, like the rest of us were caught off guard by it. And at that point, you're just wondering what the direction is. Just wondering. Um, and second question, I believe was the rebuild. Very interesting as well. And I think it's very foresightful of them to come out and say, Hey, we're rebuilding. Um, Chicago is a sports town and they know their sports and they know that team and they have had the luxury of having an incredibly successful Chicago Blackhawks organization, especially in recent years. Um, you know, that the, those, the, the three cups that they went on that run that they went on was absolutely unbelievable. You know, so there's a higher demand and there is a, a higher standard that that organization is being held to. So when you miss the playoffs and then you have a dismal year and you've, you've moved out a coach that that organization and that, that, that city has fallen in love with, you create a little bit of a stir and the fans are entitled to that. Um, um, I don't think that that city and that organization, they don't like change too much. I don't like change. I hate change. I mean, and that was one of my biggest fears coming into Chicago this year. I was going to be the new guy. They love their team. They love their sportscasters. They love their players. And I'm stepping onto an iconic broadcast with two absolute legends, Pat Foley and, and Eddie Olchek. So luckily I was friends with Eddie. So it was an easy, it was an easy move to step in. And, and Pat Foley treated me like I was part of the family for, for years, but that organization, that city gets a little jarred by change. So, um, you know, I think the smart move was that at, at, at some point you've got to steer into the storm. You've got to steer into the wind. And that's exactly what this was. So, you know, I think that the organization on a whole decided that they were going to turn into it. They were going to plant their front foot. They were going to take an athletic stance and, they were going to adopt the mindset that the, the only way out at this point was through. So let's just figure out what we're doing. Let's be transparent and let's be more upfront and open and let's give the fans and the community and the organization as a whole, the information that they deserve will be a little bit transparent with them and tell them what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and that's, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a new, you're seeing a new face of, of the organization sort of kind of, um, be a little bit more transparent. And I think it's a good thing. They're not going to be completely transparent because frankly, that's not how this works. Um, but they're at least, uh, you know, generalizing the direction. Um, and I think your, your third question was, is, is what does this mean in terms of the direction of the team now? I think it's going to be good. And I think it's going to be a little bit, it's not going to be easy. They're not going to be maybe, you know, at the top of the league in the next year or, or even a few years, but there's a lot of compete in that organization. You don't get to be in the NHL or any professional sport 
on any level, whether you're a broadcaster, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're a GM, whether you're a trainer, if you don't want to win all the time, you don't want to be your best all the time. And I can surely tell you that everybody in that organization from top to bottom wants to win a Stanley Cup every single season they step on the ice. There's no other goal. There's no other mediocrity. There is none of that. They want to win every single time. The same as me. Every time I put a mic in my hand, I want to be good. Like I will beat myself up over a stumble of a word that nobody else probably notices. But in my mind, it's like you just dropped up, uh, you know, you just drove a, a, a gasoline tanker through a nitroglycerin plant. And, and, and that's the difference between being, being good and being great. And, and everybody in the Chicago organization wants to be great. So everything that they do moving forward and everything they have done has been to try to do that. And it's not always easy. It takes a minute sometimes to figure it out. I, I mean, you just, it just doesn't happen. Jeremy Carlton is a good hockey coach. He's, he's figuring out the NHL way. He's only been there for a couple of years. You know, I think I'm a pretty damn good hockey broadcaster, but it took me 22 years to get a broadcasting job in the NHL. And even when I got there, there was the, okay, I got to figure this out. This is different. This is faster. This is, this is, this is another level. So it all trickles down. And I, and I think the future is going to be very, very bright for that organization because the ownership believes in it. It's much like I was talking about, you know, and praising Bill Foley. He wants the best for the, the Vegas Golden Knights and, and does an unbelievable job, you know, giving them everything they need. Uh, you know, Rocky and Danny and the Wirtz family is doing the same thing for Chicago. Trust me, they want nothing more than to be f successful for, for the organization, for the reputation, for the legacy, and for the city. And in an effort to do that, they brought in Kirby Dock from the WHL, uh, who's ma who made his debut in 1920. And now he's at the World Juniors with Team Canada. And the, the deal is with Bowman is if the NHL season gets underway before or during the tournament, and it, it might be during, that Kirby Dock is to return to the Blackhawks. And there's a lot of excitement around what he could do with a full season under his belt this year. So what have you liked about him? And how do you see him contributing to that excellence you know, forthcoming with the Blackhawks. Kirby Doc has so much maturity and so much charisma. He's 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 one of the guys that impressed me the most. Um, you know, this year, of course, you know, Kaner and um, you know, Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith and Seabrook and Crawford had me a little starstruck when I got there this year. No mm -hmm. question about it. I mean, those guys are absolute legends, rock stars, future Hall of Famers. Um, not to mention, you know, most of them three-time Stanley Cup champions. So, you, you know, for me, you know, the other guy in the room that really blew me away was, was Kerb. Um, and he's, he's, he's a kid, but he's not. Um, you know, his approach to everything, his maturity, his dedication, his, his uptake is just, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, certainly living with, with, with Seabrook this year helped him. And, and Siebes deserves a lot of credit for bringing him along the way that he did. But, you know, just watching Kirby from, from day one to how he was at the end of the year, even just how he talked to the media, even just in his dedication at practice that I would see, his dedication when he was off the ice, in the locker room, the way he would listen, the way he would do things, the way he would interact with guys. It was impressive to me. And, and, and right away I saw, okay, this guy knows what he wants. This guy knows what he's doing. And, and, you know, even in this, even in the, in the, in the, um, in the stoppage after March, he took advantage of it. He didn't sit on his hands. 
He went back to Canada. He sought out Ian Mack, who was the legendary Chicago trainer. He, he's obviously seems as good with him. He's, um, he's trained uh, Jonathan Tays, trained Austin Matthews. Obviously, very big client is, is, is Patrick Kane. And throughout that entire lockdown, that initial uh, you know, stoppage of play in March, Kirby was getting, you know, video tutorial workouts from Ian. Ian was on FaceTime with him, talking him through. So he put in all this extra work that you saw, and he worked himself to the bone over the course of that lockdown. And he became a better, bigger, faster, stronger player. He went from being a kid playing against men to leveling the playing field. And you saw the dividends right away in the series against Edmonton. And then you saw it a little bit in the series against Vegas. And now he's continued to do that even after the elimination by Vegas. So I cannot wait to see what Kirby Doc potentially does in World Juniors. But I got a feeling he's going to be heading back to Chicago sooner than later. We might not see much of him there in Alberta, but... Uh, it's going to be very, very exciting to see what Kirby Doc brings to the table this season. I think you're going to be very impressed uh, by by the young man. And and listen, I've, I've met his family multiple times. I, I love talking with his father. His mother is as sweet as can be. And you figure it out right away. I, I mean, he is, he's a humble kid who came from humble beginnings, who worked his ass off to get to where he's at. And he's, he's, he's still working his ass off to stay where he's at. And uh, it's impressive. It's really impressive. That's a, that's a good human being. That's a good hockey player. It is. And in the WHL, he was, I mean, incredible. His, his talent is just, it's so up there that, you, you know, you can't help but think he's got a bright future ahead of him. And when oh, yeah. he arrived in Red Deer, I mean, it was almost immediately after the practices and getting right into the even the, just the scrimmages, Team Red, Team White, that he just dove right into it. I believe he racked up about three goals before the COVID-19 player outbreak that they're set to get out of in the next 24 to 48 hours. So it goes to show that, you know, if he keeps keeps at it the way he is, that he's only going to help to, you know, sharpen and brighten up the Chicago Blackhawks. Blackhawks organization uh, in the many years to come because he's just such a bright kid with such great potential ahead of him. Yeah, he's a stud. Um, you know, we, we started to do a series right before the pandemic hit. Uh, it's called, you know, open skate. And I was basically just jumping on the ice and uh, ripping around a little bit with, with a guy just kind of talking hockey, talking, kind of talking life. And we did, we do it after practice at fifth third arena there. And my first, my first guest was Kirby and it's just awesome. Just skate around with him and just have a conversation and, um, knock the puck around a little bit and just talk about family and talk about his brother who he adores, who's also a hell of a hockey player. And, you know, just talk about the little things like that. And it's, you get to know a guy really well. And I'm, I'm you know, I've always been very impressed with, uh, very impressed with, with, with Kirby and a lot of those guys in that room. Um, you know, I'm a big Dylan Strom fan. I'm a big DeBrinket fan. I love Boquist. Uh, um, you know, Patrick Kane and Taser and Keith and Seabrook, these guys are, they're, they're giants in the sport. And I've got two really good friends that play in the league, but I walked into that locker room and I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. That's 19. That's 88. <laughs> that's two. Like, it's like, all right, these guys are <laughs> it's like, Hey, what's going on? I'm going to ask you a question and try not to, you know, soil my shorts. <laughs> Right, and you mentioned the youth uh, that that this team is, you know, consisting of. Again, Doc, Debrinkat, Strom. Uh, so, you know, you've spoken really, really highly of the owners about, you know, other broadcasters like yourself and Eddie Olchek. Can you talk to, uh, you know, the abilities of Bowman to bring in such young talent that has, you know, such potential to 
help shape and turn around this organization? Well, I mean, listen, Chicago's a desirable place to play. It's obviously, like I said, it's a legendary organization from top to bottom. So I think the desire to come there and play is good. I think the scouting, um, the scouting staff, Mr. Kelly and everybody Bowman on down, um, Alma Isaac, they all do a really good job of identifying where that next level talent is. And, and it's not hard to convince guys to come to Chicago, um, you know, when Edzo called me about, I'm not even a player. And when Edzo, when Edzo called me, and I mean, like I said, Edzo deserves the primary assist for bringing me to Chicago. I wouldn't be there without him. You know, it's a, it's like, it's, it's a yes. Like I couldn't say yes fast enough. It's like, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. So um, I think that the way that this team has, has drafted. And I think that the way that this team is, is, is got guys in the developmental system. It's going to be very impressive. Um, Ian Mitchell's going to be very, uh, very, very good. I had a chance to see him play in Denver here quite a bit. Um, you know, before, you know, just before everything went haywire or whatever you want to call it at this point. And um, this guy's going to be, he's going to be a big guy for this organization moving forward too, possibly as soon as this year. And I, and I think the fan base is just going to have to lean into that development a little bit. And they're going to have to give these guys a little bit of rope to, to figure it out because it's different it's it's different you the jump even just when you make the jump from the you know canadian hockey league to to to, to the ahl it's a jump when you make that jump from the a to the nhl it's a little bit similar but it's it's still a jump there's that ramp up in speed there's that ramp up in decision making there's that there's that hitting that's just a little bit harder and that intensity that's just a little bit more there and there's just that that addition of those just bit more fans and so everything changes and just it, it, it takes a second I mean we have to remember these guys are human and you know all of us played uh, you know for the Stanley Cup in, in front of our houses on the street as the lights are going down in the summertime and then you step on the ice and you're playing in front of 22,000 people <laughs> it's like in Chicago in original six or in Toronto and you're like yeah this is this is not the street in front of my house with the styrofoam Stanley cup and a plastic net. So it just takes a minute to, to, to get there. But I think these young guys that they have in the developmental pipeline are, are going to be good for this organization. And the future is very bright for Chicago. Absolutely. And Mitchell's another bright player, like you mentioned, and mm -hmm. you look at players from overseas. I mean, it's, it's just as hard. Just very Kakanyemi, Capo Caco in their respective teams. It's hard. And now with Alexis Lafreniere coming over uh, to the New York Rangers, who he's already skating with to try and get his feet under him uh, to get comfortable. I mean, again, it's going to take a second. He might not be sharp right away. Um, you know, that happens. Look at the Hughes brothers and the expectations that were there these things happen so you know and like you know Bo Boquist is another good example unbelievably talented player he's still learning the language he's still learning English like I enjoyed talking with him after after practice because he got to practice his English a little bit and you know he's living with uh with the Brinkett and and you know and, and helping him along and it goes again back to what I was talking about about hockey family we look out for one another you know you got you know Kirby living with Siebes you got you know, Bokey living with, um, with Brinksy and, and it just, you know, we take care of one another and, you know, that's how these young guys are going to develop. That's how they're going to move along. You know, same with, same with Jack, you know, um, I forget who Jack was living with in New Jersey, but it's the same thing. You, you nurture these guys. You don't just take an 18 year old and throw them into a big city and be like, Hey, by the way, pay your bills, get your groceries, uh, clean your house and uh, show up to practice on time. And this is how we do things. And this is the route you take to get to the airport. 
you bring them along and you teach them. And then in return, they're going to do the same things for everybody that comes along after them. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Um, Brendan Gallagher, funny story. Brendan Gallagher uh, used to live with, uh, with Josh Georges when he first came in the league. And then I think it, Josh, it was Josh Georges who showed him the ropes. And now look at Gallagher, what he's doing today in the league. So just goes to show it, like you were saying. And that's, and that's, and that's just it, right? Like you, you, we, this league takes care of its own, like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, the game of hockey, not just the NHL, the game of hockey takes care of its own. It's, it's, it's a constant family. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't think, uh, I can't, I can't even begin to name or, or put a count on the number of all of us that have talked through all of this, just making sure we're all okay. You know, you know, uh, you just, you do that. Johnny Forslund's a good friend of mine. He and I check in often with each other. I, my, my mom and dad are still in, in Detroit. So a couple of times I've been back and forth to Detroit, he, you know, Ken Daniels, the, the, the play-by-play TV voice of the Detroit Red Wings is a good pal of mine. And, you know, we'll go catch a drink or catch a meal or jump on a zoom and just catch up with one another. So it doesn't matter where you are. We, we look out for each other in hockey. And, and that's probably one of my favorite parts about the game. So actually, I want to give, I want to put you on the spot here a little bit. Uh oh. In a realigned division, do you think Chicago makes the playoffs this year? Yes. Yeah. You think they're, they're- yeah, I was the only one last year that said they were going to make the playoffs, and and people can say what they want about it. People can say, oh, it was a shortened year. Oh, they wouldn't have made it. No, I don't believe that. I, I said I was the only guy in the media in Chicago that said the Chicago Blackhawks were going to make a push and make the playoffs at the end of the season last year, and they were trending up at the end of the year. And I'm telling you, they made the playoffs. And if I was celebrating that they made the playoffs when they got into the playing round against Edmonton, people like, no, it's not the playoffs. I'm like, all right, well, great. It doesn't matter. They're going to beat Edmonton anyway. I called that. And then they played, uh, they played Vegas and whatever. That's officially the playoffs. So yeah, I have full confidence in this organization. That core is deep. That's a good hockey team. I don't care what anybody says. By the way, Nick, I also had um, Edmonton, um, Chicago over Edmonton as well in my picks. Hundred percent. That they, they they smoked them all year long. They smoked them all year long. I, listen, Edmonton's a good organization, but all you got to do is shut down McDavid and Drysaddle. Not hard. I'm, I mean, like when you think of a grand, yes, that's going to get me in trouble. It is difficult to shut down Connor McDavid and Drysaddle. They are fantastic hockey players. Connor McDavid is as good. He is probably the best player in the NHL. But when you look at a grand scheme of things on a four-line hockey team, shutting down two guys over the course of a what that was a five-game series potentially, best of five, it, it that doesn't those odds are not necessarily in your favor. And Chicago had outplayed them and had their number all year long, and it and it, and it showed in the in in the in the playing round. Please don't get mad at me about that comment. I love Connor McDavid and Leon Dressel. <laughs> Um, so do you think Chicago goes after another goalie or are they going to go with Malcolm Subban as their number one? Great question. I, I think that they're going to, I think that they're committed to the development of the youth that is in their pipeline already. So I think we're going to see them stick with what they've got and it's going to be a trial by fire for those guys. And as we continue to talk divisions, how are we feeling about the Canadian division? That's just all the more likely heading into this, uh, unique NHL season ahead. Unique NHL season. Well put, Justin. Well, well executed there. I guess that's a, what you could call it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be exciting for everybody in Canada. I think you're going to see some incredible hockey. Um, I think you're going to see some incredible hockey across the board. I think you're going to see some series that are 
that are epic. I think you're going to see some back-to-backs. I mean, I don't know how the 56 or 52 game schedule is going to shake out, but it's going to be exciting. I think my interest lies more in is how are we going to figure out how to award a Stanley Cup and, and not have people throwing, oh, there's an asterisk because they had an easier regular season because I don't want to hear any of that. Like, I just want to get back to playing hockey. I just, I just want to play hockey. And that's the objective um, they're working towards, but the question 100%. is how to do it. Yeah. And, 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 and listen, that's above my pay grade. I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be exciting. I think the, the three-division alignment is, is going to be exciting, and I think that Canadian division is going to be the, the, talk, of, uh, the talk of the league, no question about it. But uh, I will certainly miss getting to, to, to be in those buildings and playing those teams. Uh, you know, and like I said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a passionate nerd of the game of hockey. So, you know, there's something about it. I mean, I, I, I broadcasted a, a, a Plymouth Whalers, uh, you know, Toronto Marley's game in, in, uh, in old Maple Leaf Garden and the guy in the gondola before they, they switched over. So I get a kick out of going to all those, those cities and getting to play those teams and being around those fan bases because it's, I mean, that's as, that's as, that's as pinch me as a, as a kid growing up idolizing hockey as it gets. So, right. uh, Sorry, uh, go ahead. being from Montreal, I got to pick your brain about what the Habs did this offseason. I want to get your thoughts on all the moves that they made. I think that the crushing pressure that exists in Montreal is extensive and that that is probably one of the hardest markets to be a player and uh, be ownership management coach in because it's in your face all the time, every day. And that fan base, much like Chicago, demands excellence. So I think they've made some smart moves. I, I, I think they're positioned very well, but I think that that all gets thrown out the window when the crushing pressure weighs down on the guys that are there. And it's all about how they respond. You can be as talented as you want to be, but if you can't respond to pressure, um, it's not going to go well for you. So um, the, the new look Habs are going to have to make some, they're going to have to answer the bell. And that city is definitely ringing it. Tyler Toffoli, yay or nay? I love Tyler Toffoli. Got to know him well in, uh, in Los Angeles when he was there. I lived in LA for a long time. And one of my closest pals is, is Anjay Kopitar, who's incredibly respected amongst that organization. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and I was around Tyler a lot um, on the rink, off the rink. And uh, that's a good dude. That's a good, that's a good pickup. Yeah. I think the Montreal kicked it out, out of the park here and it looks like Elias wants to say something for that. So Elias, yeah. tell Tyler, tell, tell Tyler, I said, hi, tell him Gizmo said, what's up. I will hundred percent. I will. Uh, Justin, want to go ahead? Um, Armand, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about development, and, you know, I'm going to go a little off the board here. Um, there's no AHL this year, and we don't know when the NHL is coming back. Um, how big of a role do you think the Indy Fuel play for Chicago um, over the next month or so? Well, the the AHL will go. The, you'll, you'll have the AHL. The, I, I think that that component will have to happen. There's no way the NHL will go unless they have that feeder system for uh, – they, the NHL won't go unless the AHL goes with them. And it might start a little bit later. I think what the start date for the AHL is February 5th or 4th right now. 
Um, so you'll still have that component, but I think they're always keeping an eye on the Indy fuel. I mean, there's an easy pipeline there. Um, they're just down the road. And uh, my, my good, my good buddy, Nikki Olchek is, is one of the broadcasters for, for those guys. He called some games last year. So I think, uh, I think, I think Nikki's got to get a little scouting report on those guys from time to time, but yeah, I mean, in this, in this current year that we're in, I, I think everything's on the table. I, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see teams, uh, you know, looking at all of their affiliates and, and saying, what do you have if we get into a situation where there is a, outbreak in in the ahl or the east coast league and and they have to shut down or if a player you want to pull up from from you know from rockford isn't able to come because of a quarantine or whatever the situation might be so i think all options are on the table across every single league ahl coast um you know even some of the junior programs it's going to be very interesting to see how they pull and where they pull from and how they do it and and, and what the guidelines are for that i don't even think that that's on a list of 100 things that's i don't know that's probably 20 30 you know I, but they got to figure that out too um you know just i know it kind of caught my eye but um you know we've, we've had a crazy year what were your thoughts when you see a, a name like Garrett Sparks um, signing down in the East Coast League? Yeah, I think that you've got situations right now. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, at this point, I would announce I would announce tortoise racing in Tuscaloosa if it meant getting to like actually go back to work and get some reps in as a broadcaster so I think guys hockey players are jonesing to do anything they want right now which is why you're seeing guys jump over to the to the KHL and to the Swedish leagues and to the Italian leagues I mean a couple of my buddies are, are in town uh you know in town here that play in the AHL and they're just like dude I will get on the ice and go play you know practice games with the Lincoln Stars and the USHL at this point you know, so I think I think I think the mentality is is that guys want to stay sharp and they want to get reps, and uh, I think Gary took advantage. Well, we talked about all options on the table. Something else that I'll uh, pitch you with is the idea. Are you of... gonna pitch me a job right now? I accept. <laughs> uh, sure you would. Uh, <laughs> there are so many ways for this season to be put on the table, and when you consider the bubble idea that we've seen in Toronto and Edmonton to complete the season, we and we consider you know, how this, again, unique season is going to look because there are so many numbers of ways that this could end up. How, you know, how do you best see this? Because I can't think that travel to city city like normal is just going to be allowed. I don't see that as an option. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. They're not going to do a bubble. It will not be a bubble like they did in the playoffs. That's not sustainable. It's not feasible. It's not, you're asking they're asking for too much there. And listen, at the end of the day, I think that the, the, the rapid distribution of a vaccine will certainly help things. I think that the NHL is going to do some sort of a hybrid this year to get this season complete and complete it on time and again award the Stanley Cup. And then I would say that at, at the start of the next season, we are very much 100% back to normal. People will be in buildings broadcasters will be traveling it will be just like it always has been an 82 game season that starts in october goes into the early summer 
you'll have an all-star, you'll have the outdoor games, everything will be back to normal. So I think you'll see a hybrid of those two ideas convulging to complete this year. I think with the realignment of the division, if that's what they're going to do in a 56 game schedule, you'll see them travel to a city and stay there for a little while, but you're not going to see them sequestered in a single hotel or or anything like that. I, I think they're going to take precautions and they're going to do things the right way and the safe way. But um, with the distribution of the vaccine supposed to happen here, you know, in the United States in the next uh, couple of weeks or whatever it's going to be, I, I frankly don't care about politics, so I won't even get into it. But whatever that schedule is to get us back to normal, we'll be back to normal. And I think that the other thing to keep in mind is, is that, you know, the NHL needs to get this season complete because the Olympics are coming and currently the broadcast deal is with NBC. And obviously they're very big in on the Olympics and have the broadcast rights there. So just figure out a way to get it done, but it will not be the, the extensive bubble that we saw before. It's going to be a hybrid of the two. Right. So, so now I'll hit you with this. And this was in Pierre Lebrun's latest article for the, for the athletic, uh, the outdoor home games, is that necessary? I don't know if it's necessary. If it means the teams can take some revenue and, you know, the problem that you have right now is, is that there's no, there's no cohesive thinking process. The rules in California are different than the rules in Colorado and are different in Michigan and Pennsylvania and pick a state and, and throw a dartboard or throw a dart at the board and, and, and pick what level of, quarantine whatever is going on so at the end of the day i said this earlier it's about a business so if let's take the los angeles kings for example if the mayor of los angeles is saying that we're not going to allow fans inside of a closed arena at blah 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 and the capacity is 25 percent or whatever it is well the kings are probably not going to play at the staples center they're going to build an outdoor rink at dodger stadium just like they did, uh, you know, for the, for the winter, uh, for the outdoor series, the stadium series against Anaheim. And they're going to fill that place up to 25%, which is more than what 25% would be in the Staples Center. And sure, they'll play their home games inside Dodger Stadium. They already have a plan for it. They already have the fundamentals. They've already done it before. They've already proven that they can do it. Um, that stadium is shaded perfectly, um, you know, at about five o'clock at night on into the evening. And that's in a valley. The evenings are very cool in Los Angeles. So, yeah, absolutely. Do it. Why not? If that means there's revenue coming in and we can keep this thing going with minimal interruption. Awesome. Let's play under the stars in L.A. on a beautiful night at Dodger Stadium in the valley. I'm in. Right, and that's the only way that I think that this is possible, putting them into, you know, larger stadiums or whatever you have to do just to get some revenue in. Justin, I, I grew up in a military family. My, 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 I come from a long line of Marines and soldiers, and it has always been instilled in me to improvise, adapt, and overcome. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. I-A-O. And at this point, that's what you're going to have to do in order to be successful. And I think that's what we're seeing these teams start to do. You got to improvise, you got to adapt, and you got to overcome. So if the LA Kings can't play in Staples Center and they're going to play in Dodger Stadium, God bless them, so be it. Let's just drop the puck. Exactly. Why not just do it? It's for one year. It's short term. Just, you know, make it happen. Let's go. <laughs> what about like, uh, like Boston and Pittsburgh? Do you see that, may that might be a little more difficult? Why? Because it's cold outside and because the snow is falling, just like we played when we grew up on a pond. Love it. Do it. I'm in. Fine. Throw some heaters on the benches. Let's go. 
I mean, drop the puck. Drop the puck. Drop the puck. We're all waiting for yeah. it. Yeah, let, let's go already. It's time. It's time to. It's time to figure out a way to make this happen. And however they need to improvise and adapt, adapt and overcome to get it done, let's do it. If you want to play games outdoors in, in Pittsburgh and Boston, all these guys are going to be cool with that. Are you kidding me? Like how much I love, I still love putting on the skates and playing on the pond when the snow is falling. It's great. Is it cold? Yeah, sure. It's cold, but you know what? Let's go. I think it'll be, I think it'd be amazing. Exactly. Uh, Elias, anything else? Yeah, the only reason I said that was because my only experience of an outdoor game was I went to a game in Ottawa. Uh, I think it was the Heritage Classic a couple of years back, and I was freezing to death. So just I'm talking on personal experience. That's why it's like, like warmer climates it might be better, but colder climates it might be harder. That that's all I, really, I was really asking. Elias, yeah. toughen up, bud. Toughen up. <laughs> Don't be soft. Don't be soft. Throw an extra layer on. Go buy yourself some thermals. Throw some of those hand warmers in your pocket. You're a hockey reporter. Get tough. Get used to the cold. Buckle up. I don't want to hear that out of you anymore. You get tough down there. Armand, God. You anything? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Elias, anything else? Oh, I'm good. Uh, thank you so much, Nick. Nick, thank you so I much. Played in, I played in the Pee Wee Quebec tournament. I know how cold it gets out there. You're fine. <laughs> You guys are you guys are welcome. It's always always fun chatting. I, I can't thank thank you enough for for having me on. And um, you know, I really I really appreciate all the passion and the love for the game and uh, for letting me come on and talk about my partners and and, and talk about the Blackhawks and and the game of hockey. It's uh, it is truthfully one of my all, all time favorite things to do is is to is to talk and, and gush about this game and 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 the organization that I'm with and the people who mean the world to me. So. Uh, thanks for letting me come on and thanks for letting me talk to you guys. Absolutely. Your passion is a pleasure and we, we appreciate everything that you've provided to us this evening, your knowledge, um, your love for the game. It translates and truthfully, you know, we're all with you in that. So thank you again. Thanks boys. You guys have yourself a good night. Have a great holiday season and uh, let's play some hockey. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. So that was Nick Ismondi from NBC. Uh, Nick, the last thing I'll leave you off with is what is your social media for uh, our viewers to be watching you or following yeah, you? Yeah, super Yep, super easy. Right across the board on uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's just at Nick Gizmondi, and it's just N I C K G I S M O N D I. Every uh, all the social media platforms are, are that. I even have a TikTok. My my uh, my nephew um, uh, Justin Williams is twelve uh, year old son Jax, who's going to be a, a hell of a draft pick in twenty twenty seven. By the way, you're going to want to keep your eye on him. A little two thousand eight birth year. Uh, playing for the Carolina Junior Hurricanes. Uh, he talked me into doing a, uh, a TikTok. So I have one video on TikTok and Jax is in it. So I'm across the board on all the social platforms, just at Nick Ismondi. <laughs> Absolutely love that. So that's Nick Ismondi. Uh, to Elias and Armand, thank you boys for doing this with me. Uh, again, we'll, we'll have you on, you know, maybe at the end of the next season or closer to this season, whatever that looks like as we get more information. Uh, but that does it for episode 30 of the Puck Authority podcast. Make sure that you are following along with us on Spotify and our nine other different platforms, including anchor.com. You can find all podcasts in our scroll up puckauthority.com. Uh, and now I'll grab social media handles from Elias and Armand to wrap up. Elias, where can you be found? So uh, my uh, Twitter is at Elias Lorati, L-A-R-A-D-I. Facebook, first name, last name, Elias Lorati. Instagram, at Elias Lorati. So that's basically it. Armand? Uh, A. Klicevich on Twitter. Uh, Armand Klicevich on Facebook. 
and for myself on Twitter at Justin Levine HBS. Uh, that's pretty much where I do my operating from and at Puck31 for everything as it relates to uh, podcasts, um, you know, everything hockey, NHL, women's hockey, uh, OHL, uh, again, something that Nick is familiar with. So uh, again, that NCAA. wraps up this episode. And to the three of you, thank you so much.